Hello, I'm Brendan Blevins, the host of Livin' Appalachia. You're listening to us on WEHC Emory 90.7, WISE FM WISE 90.5. Today I have with me Tater Miller, a local expert on beekeeping, and uh, he actually makes all the beekeeping woodenware in this area. He, he owns a local shop in Abingdon. But first I'd like to talk about the Highlands Beekeeping Association. Tater, I believe that uh, you may have just become president of that. Is that correct? I am now president of the of the association. That's a that's a pretty big step. I know. Um, I know that's something you've wanted for a little bit. Weren't you the vice president before? I've been vice president pre for the past three years or so. So it was time <laughs> to make the giant leap forward. Yeah. And- uh, just for everyone out there, I'm also on the board, so I, I voted for Tater. We'll see how it goes. Might start the impeachment here soon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't regret your decision. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's jump into it. So um, for those that don't remember on our last show, we talked a lot about tobacco. We talked for a full hour about tobacco. It was very interesting. I learned a lot. Um, but you've since switched over from tobacco to beekeeping. What made you decide to to go um, to beekeeping from tobacco? Well, um, I actually become interested in bees and, and got some bees and started keeping a few bees. Um, prior, we had um, we had used bees from other people to pollinate pumpkins and, and cantaloupes and watermelons and whatnot. And I was kind of become interested in them. So finally, one day, I just decided to get my own bees. So with that, I've always enjoyed making my own equipment for whatnot or wooden woodwork and that kind of stuff. So I started making my own beekeeping equipment, and I could see that the end of backer was coming. There's just tons and tons and tons and tons of regulation coming down. It was harder to compete. Um, it was labor was becoming a huge issue, and so. Just decided to look into this beekeeping thing. It seemed like there would be an opportunity to make the equipment and sell the equipment and assist people with beekeeping. And here we are. (laughs) So that gets us into the next question about about your business there with uh, making beekeeping equipment. Um, What sort of stuff do you make specifically to help beekeepers? Um, we're we're actually a small manufacturer of woodenware for beekeeping, and the definition of woodenware is like the components of the beehive itself, um, the bottom, the boxes, um, the frames to a degree, which I know probably this don't make sense, but each beehive has removable frames that the that the bees build comb on and do their business in, and we 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 make pretty much all the wooden stuff and we do have a supply branch of it to where we sell the tools and other equipment to help assist in beekeeping now this is a little away from beekeeping but you also make some uh, other wooden things at your shop there Um, the nets you make some beautiful trout nets yes um it was rather by accident. I started making a few um, landing nets, and well, 
it's not a huge business, but it's not a bad sideline. We're moving a few nets here and there. Yeah, so for everyone out there that doesn't know, I'm a huge uh, fly fisherman, and Tater is as well, and uh, that's just a side to it. I thought it was worth mentioning if anybody out there is looking for a, for a net, you ought to, uh, you ought to talk to Tater. Um, so as far as beekeeping goes, do you still keep bees? Yes, I, I still maintain a few colonies. Um, the demands of the shop are getting greater and greater, and right currently I have five colonies, and I really kind of want to stay right there. <laughs> now, for everyone listening that might want to uh, to get into beekeeping, what's the name of your shop, and how could they uh, contact you? Uh, the name of our company is Beekeepers Woodworking and Apiary Supply, and we're located in Abingdon in Washington County in Virginia. And the easiest way to contact us is through phone, text message, or email. All right. And um, for for beekeeping, um, if somebody wanted to get into it, like brand new at beekeeping, um, where would they start? Um, the ideal start would be to do all the research that you can do. Get every book that you can find on beekeeping, read it, absorb it. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of good resources on the internet. However, that comes with a bit of caution. There is some bad information on the internet, so you have to beware. But locally, um, twice a year, our bee club offers a beginner beekeeping class. And matter of fact, the next one is coming up a week from tomorrow at the Higher Ed Center. And that's usually a pretty popular class and it is it's a full day class and it's full of just full of information full of information for the beginner yeah that is a very good class uh emory and henry's b club actually sends people to it we try to every year um now with beekeeping i know there's several different reasons to keep bees um and you mentioned pollination was the reason that you used to have people come bring bees to your farm um, what are the other reasons somebody might keep bees? Um, there, there's all kinds of various reasons why people like to keep bees. Um, like you mentioned, pollination is a huge one. Um, some people just want to keep it, they want to keep bees and maintain bees for the sake of honey. They want honey production. Um, some folks just keep bees because they're interested in bees. And they, they really don't have any other purpose than just wanting to learn about bees. And they are fascinating little creatures. And the more you keep them and the more you study, the more questions it raises. And it's just that vicious circle of research with bees. <laughs> so uh, do you harvest honey still from your hives? I actually do not. Um, dealing with honey for me is just it, it's a terrible experience because regardless if i have a bunch of honey or a teaspoon of honey i will make a mess with it <laughs> so that's the reason i got into beekeeping and uh my first honey harvest it did make me reevaluate uh if keeping bees was for me y yes um not trying to turn people off from beekeeping i, I think it's very rewarding but I think it should be known that it's not the simplest thing in the world. 
Oh, it is not simple. And I, I just thought of another reason that I've heard several people say that they wanted to get into beekeeping and keep bees because they had found out that working in the bees was actually common and relaxing to them. <laughs> what, uh, what are your thoughts on the relaxing and calming part of beekeeping? I can kind of, I can see that. Because, you know, initially when you're brand new and you open that colony up and there's, you know, 40 to 50,000 bees running around in there, you open it up and it looks like utter chaos. It is just absolutely crazy. There's bees going every, every direction. Um, there are a few bees up in your face that are actually trying to, they're trying to sting you. <laughs> but after a while and you, you gain more experience and you learn more about how the the bee works and the biology of the bee you can open that colony up and it is not chaotic everybody in there is doing their job even with some giant that's ripping the roof off their house and peeping in there they're still going about their business and it's just it is it, it is it is common to watch them yeah it's amazing to see that now you mentioned they're trying to sting you and I think this might be a concern for some people who are on the fence about beekeeping, uh, whether to start it or not. How often do you actually get stung keeping bees? Um, that can vary. If if you're diligent in using your protection, which is you know either a full beekeeping suit or or a jacket with a attached veil or a veil and and gloves you can really, really, really reduce the amount of stings that you experience. However, you're not going to eliminate them because eventually you are going to get stung. Yeah, I think, uh, I think if you're dealing with bees that often, it's hard not to, but uh, luckily it's very rare. Oh, yes, yes. And it, it's, just, it's just part of it, unfortunately. Now... Um, with beekeeping in this region specifically, are there any challenges here that you don't think are in other places? Um, I wouldn't think that we would be have any specific specific issues to this region. We're actually in. We're actually fortunate to live in such a region where we have such a diversity of forage. Um, a lot of southern species. This is their northernmost range. And a lot of northern species, this is our southernmost range. So we have we have tons and tons and tons of diversity of forage for the bees here. Now, uh, there are a lot of different things fighting against bees, it seems like. Um, different mites and diseases and stuff. Um, could you take us through maybe the, the top ones you got to look out for? Yes. Um, right now... The varroa mite or varroa destructor is the single biggest issue facing beekeeping right now. It's a little mite. Um, they're actually related to spiders. They're arachnids. And they come to this country from Asia um, in the very late 80s or early 90s. They first identified in the United States. And what this is is a parasitic mite that will actually attach itself to the bee to draw nutrients. And then the mites will go in the pupil cell to mate, to make more mites. And they're, they're difficult to kill, and they're extremely destructive on, on bees. Um, I've often heard it referred to 
if size comparison, that size of that mite on that bee would be equivalent to having a tick on us the size of a Frisbee. So that's going to draw a lot of nutrients from you and kind of drag you down. And over the past few years, they've been finding out other bad things about the mite. Is Not only, you know, do they puncture the, the bee's exoskeleton and, and suck nutrients from the bee itself, once they do that, they're notorious vectors for different diseases. They're, they're many, 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 many different diseases that they can be they can be a vector for and that all that together is one of the biggest issues we're facing right now is dealing with the varroa mite um, the next thing is a, a um a small hive beetle it's a small black beetle from i think i'm almost positive it's sub-saharan africa and they are now in this country and they're they're terrible because they will get in and eat some of the honey stores and and work on the pollen stores, lay eggs in there, and just generally make a terrible mess. They're they're horrible little creatures, but that's two of the big ones. And the other big one that that we've dealt with for several generations is a wax moth. Um, the wax moths like to um, lay their eggs in drawn bee comb. If if the bees are weak. Um, the mite or the moths can come in and lay their eggs, and there again create all kinds of mess. But if the bees are healthy, they can repel the wax moths. So that's one plus. But that's that's probably the big, big three of the pests. Now the other one I've heard about a lot that um, it's not a huge problem, but when you when you have to deal with it, it becomes a very big problem locally. Um, American foul brew. Oh, American foul brew is bad, bad stuff. Um, what it is is a bacteria that, that attacks the larva of the bee. <clears throat> because, you know, the bee starts out from an egg, it hatches to a larva, goes through multiple instars, and then, and then it will pupate. And the American, and there's a European foul brood that will attack that larva. And kind of the way it got the name foul is because it creates a very foul smell. It smells like, well, it smells really bad. Um, Europe, European, nobody wants it, but you can manage for that and treat for that and get past it. However, with American, you're pretty much doomed there's not much that you can do because the spores for the uh, bacteria can live for decades in, in equipment. So it's very difficult to get rid of. And American foul brood is the main reason that all states have bee inspections. You're required to have your bees inspected before you move them, uh, and especially across state lines and that kind of stuff if you're selling bees. And the reason... The reasons for the inspections is to cut down on American foul brood being being spread. But fortunately, to my knowledge, we don't have any American foul brood anywhere in this in this region. Yeah, and uh, it, I think it'd be devastating because, from my understanding of it, everything that has come in contact with that colony or that hive has to be destroyed. 
Y- y- yes, if if you run tests, that's pretty much the recommendation. You you have to you have to euthanize the bees and burn the equipment. Um, there are some um, there are some antibiotics that work, um, but now we're, they're under a uh, uh, VFD a veterinary feed directive to where to get to get those antibiotics you have to have a veterinarian sign off on it but it's kind of in my mind it's not really worth it you have the AFB you need to destroy it mm-hmm. to stop that spread and uh, and all that yes um, switching gears here I got sent in some questions to ask you um, are there are there any problems from non-local, more aggressive bees moving in? Um, I guess that the way the only thing I could think of is maybe Africanized bees. Um, to my knowledge, we don't really have a problem with Africanized bees in this area. Um, a lot of the a lot of bees are sourced through packages, which and the packages are made up in the southern states, primarily around the Gulf. Um, Georgia, Mississippi, those states in that region. And they're trying to monitor to see if there's any cross-breeding or cross-pollination there and getting any Africanized genes in, into the bees. Now, you brought up packages, and that, uh, that just brings up another question uh, I'd like to ask you about how do you get bees if you want to start beekeeping? There are multiple different ways of getting bees. Um, one, obviously, you can you can buy a full colony. It's a full colony of bees. It's already set up. They're they're doing their thing. They have everything in there the way they want it. They're just busting at the seams, ready to go. And also available is a, a nucleus colony, which internally everybody just refers to them as nukes. And basically, it's. It's a little five-frame box, which a normal box is 10, and it's like a little starter box. They're already in there doing their thing. They're, they're laying eggs and having brood and got honey stores and pollen stores and everything, and you just move it over into full-frame, full-size equipment, and they just take off. Another way of sourcing bees is, is to catch a swarm, and that's probably the best way because that's free bees. <laughs> you know, there's just free bees hanging out a tree somewhere. But if word gets out that there's a swarm hanging in a tree somewhere, it doesn't take very long for some beekeeper to scoop them up. <laughs> um, another way is, is packages. And it's kind of difficult to explain, but they will actually mail three pounds of bees to you in basically a box about the size of a shoebox, but it it's not a solid box, but it has screen around it and a little feed can to feed the bees in transit. And there'll be roughly three pounds of bees in there, and their queen will be in a little queen cage where she can't escape. And, and you get those to your apiary, dump the bees in, put the queen in. Over a span of a few days, they release the queen, and then everybody starts off. Now, that's one of the most interesting to me because uh, I've ordered a few packages and it's always hard to get out of the post office without someone stopping you and wanting to look at it and uh, and see it because a lot of people just haven't seen a, 
about 10,000 bees in a box before. Exactly. And um, regardless of what your thoughts is on the Postal Service, order some bees and see how efficient they become. <laughs> they will call you immediately as soon as the bees enter the post office to want you to come get them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. I think uh, I, had to, I had a package that I had to leave there for an uh, extra day because I wouldn't get there in time. And they were not too happy with me the next day having to keep them in overnight. Um, another question um, that we have sent in here is, uh, how do bees know how to make those perfect cells? It seems like no matter what, they're always making that perfect honeycomb shape. Um, as far as why, I really have no answer. But oftentimes science has speculated at that. If you look at the structure of the cell and the hexagon, it's it's nature's most perfect um, shape because it, it has built-in rigidity with the least amount of resources. It, but if if you think about it in in the terms like that, it's a it's a very stable structure with the least amount of resources put into it. And if you've ever saw bee comb on a on a frame. This is one thing that just fascinated me to no end is they don't build the sails straight out. They actually tilt them up at around a 13-degree angle because if they're putting nectar in there, you know, gravity's going to want to pull it out. So if they build the sails on a slight angle, that helps hold it in. And they figured that out on their own. You know, I, I, that just, oh, I, I have no words. They are they're amazing uh, amazing animals or well I guess they're bugs but well actually they're livestock yeah yep that's the other thing a lot of people don't know that in uh, in most states they're considered livestock and uh, fall under that well I guess that's why you're on the show talking about them today <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, talk about the resources bees get because I think we all know that bees go to flowers but what exactly are they getting from the flowers um they're getting um pollen and or nectar and pollen is pollen is their protein source and the nectar is their carbohydrate source and it's a really it's a really interesting process um the pollen yeah, it's pretty interesting. They, they kind of bring it back and formulate it a little bit and then pack it in cells and store it. You know, that's kind of like their meat in the freezer. But they'll bring the nectar back, and it has to transform from nectar, which is primarily water, and they will eventually turn that into honey. And the process, the, each little worker bee has a little honey stomach internal, and they're taking that nectar in, putting it in their honey uh, little honey tank and you know carrying it around from flower to flower until the tank's full and then they head back home with it to unload it but inside that little that little honey stomach the process of the conversion from nectar to honey has already started there's there's some enzymes in there that's being mixed in with the nectar it's called invertase and that's what helps the process gets the process going to convert that nectar into honey and in case you don't know what invertase is, around Christmas time you get chocolate-covered cherries, and you open it up, and it's that gooey kind of stuff inside. That's 
that's a product of invertase. So that's kind of how the process happens. But anyway, they can take the uh, nectar back to the colony and hand it off to bees, and they, they put it in the cells, and the conversion to honey has already started, but they have to get all that moisture out of there. So there will be bees whose job is just flap their wings and put air across the cells to help remove the moisture to help cure that from nectar into honey. There again, just fascinating stuff. Yeah, and uh, speaking of moisture, I know that's a huge problem in the uh, winter is having too much moisture in your uh, beehive. Yes, yes. Um, bees can, it, it's hard for most folks to grasp, but they can handle extremely cold temperatures. Um, they form a cluster inside. It's kind of like they just all bunch up and just basically trying to paint a quick mental picture for you. With that clump of bees, everybody in there is, they're not flapping their wings, but they're contracting their flight muscles really fast. It's a process called flexing thermogenesis. There's our big word for the day. <laughs> but anyway, um, through that process, they're generating tons and tons and tons and tons of heat in there. So there's been a lot of research done um, on on that temperature thing. And I can't remember which university it is, but they put a bunch of thermocouples in there, measured the outside ambient air temperature, the air inside the colony, um, the temperature on the outside of the cluster and a temperature inside the cluster. And the outside air temperature was 22 below zero. Inside the colony was still at the, at the coolest place was around 60. Um, the outside of the colony was around 70 degrees and the internal part of the, uh, the cluster was at a whopping 95 degrees. <laughs> so that cluster, I like to imagine it as, uh, like if you went to a club dancing that was way, way overcrowded, I like to imagine that's kind of how tightly packed they are. I would imagine that would be a pretty, pretty close guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is your favorite part about beekeeping? Because obviously you're very, you're very passionate about it. You've done it for a while and you've made a business out of it. I guess... One of the most fascinating parts about beekeeping is is in most other things you get involved in, you can really learn a lot to start with. And then after a while, the learning kind of plateaus because you're kind of getting a good, a good grasp on everything. But with this beekeeping, it's like if you were to plot the learning curve on a graph, I mean, it would be just a vertical line. There is no plateau with this because there, there's something to learn every single day from the bee. The bee is the honeybee, Apis mellifera, is the most studied insect on Earth, but yet we know so little. <laughs> so um, I understand there's many different types of honeybee. Uh, what are some of them, and what is your favorite, favorite type of bee to uh, keep? Um... To name just a few of the more popular strains of bees, there's the Italian, um, Carniolan, um, there's a Caucasian. Mm. Oh, I'm drawing a blank here now, but there, there's a couple of more, a couple of more strains of bees. But primarily, the most the most common strain of bee here would be Italians. Um, 
they're they're generally pretty gentle. They do a pretty good job of of working pretty hard. That's the primary that's the primary bee of choice in this area. Um, the Carniolans are typically a little more laid back. <laughs> I mean, they're they're pretty generally pretty calm. Um, it it just depends on. It, it it depends on where you want to go with your beekeeping, mm -hmm. with with what kind of bee you w would want to select. Well, and uh, I know Russians have that. Uh, yes, Russians. Yes, they've got the reputation for being uh, a little less nice. I guess is the nicest way I can put it. Sometimes. Yes, there is a there is a Russian strain, and I, I don't know why I forgot that. <laughs> um, Typically, they show a little bit more ability to handle the varroa mite. And they was kind of becoming somewhat popular a few years ago. However, they was pretty good at dealing with the mite. But overall, their personalities lacked a little bit, you know. <laughs> they were easily upset. And, you know, I'm all for it. Mite can troll or anything that can deal with the mites but my goodness you know if you go out and everybody's just trying to attack you it's, <laughs> it kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of it i was gonna say it might uh interfere with the relaxing part if you get chased 100 yards from the <laughs> yes yes the russians would pretty uh, russian bees would pretty much um put an end to the relaxation on part of it <laughs> um as far as uh, we're going to go back to your business real quick, making um, making beekeeping equipment. Um, have you noticed uh, things that you make work better than other things? Um, I'm thinking right off the top of my head, like the bottom boards. I know there's different types of bottom boards you can go to. Um, have you noticed like one set of uh, bottom boards work better than others? Well, um what you're referring to there, I would guess, would be the difference between a solid bottom and a screen bottom. Yep. Um, uh, you want to get a real good discussion going, just bring this subject up amongst beekeepers. Uh, a screen bottom, it's just like it says, it has a screen bottom in it. And airflow can, can come through the colony really easy. And a solid bottom is just that, it's just a solid bottom. Um, there are people who absolutely positively wouldn't keep bees if they couldn't use a solid bottom. And there are people out there that wouldn't, absolutely wouldn't keep bees if they, unless they used a screen bottom. But it's a matter of personal choice. Both have their advantages. Um, and it's my opinion and my opinion only. The screen bottom has a little bit more advantage. Um, it's open, and should a mite fall out, it falls down to the ground, and it cannot find its way back into the colony. <laughs> but one of the one of the main reasons of the advantage or main advantages of the screen bottom is airflow during during the winter. Um, you referenced earlier about wanting to keep it dry in there, mm -hmm. and we kind of went off on another rabbit hole. But <laughs> you you know we have some cold air on the outside but we have that warm cluster in there that creates this excellent environment for condensation formation if we have some airflow going through there we can help keep that condensation down um like we discussed previously as long as the bees are dry they can take tremendous amounts of cold but if they're wet i mean 
they're doomed. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. I know when you start out beekeeping, you're only supposed to have you're supposed to start with at least two hives. What's the reason for that? Well, it's not an absolute requirement that you have two, but it's generally suggested to have two. Um, some schools of thought is if you have one that's kind of dragging behind, you can you know Robin Hood and rob some resources from the one that's doing really good over here and give it to the one that's kind of weak, and that's one advantage of it. Um, another advantage of it, in in my mind, is no two colonies of bees are going to perform exactly the same. There there is an individual as people or any anything else. No two of them are the same. And it's like you can learn more by watching more than one colony because you don't, if you just have one, you don't have anything to relate it to of what's good or what's bad. So you mentioned earlier also that bees are considered livestock. Uh, like livestock, do you have to feed them and water them and uh, that sort of thing? Y- yes. Yes, there comes, there comes times that is absolutely... It is absolutely mandatory. You have to you have to feed the bees to help them along a little bit. Um, so a lot of some folks will disagree with that, but the, I think that's part of the keeper part in beekeeper. As if they need some help, we need to be able to help them. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've heard it said. I believe you might have told me this. There's a difference between keeping bees and having bees <laughs> yeah um there's a joke in the bee business there are beekeepers and bee havers <laughs> um so part of beekeeping though is eventually you're going to lose a hive or two uh what what can lead to someone losing a hive um there there are more reasons out there that you could possibly lose a hive as there are beekeepers and Unfortunately, it is farming, and you will have loss. That's just part of it. But you got to be prepared for that. But at the same time, you're going to have a lot of successes too. A a lot of it boils down to management. If if you're staying on top of your bees and giving them what they need, and a lot of that comes to, like we were talking about feeding, if they're running behind on honey stores or something, you can feed them some sugar syrup and whatnot and get their stores built back up. Um, you can try to keep your mite population at a manageable level. You're not going to eliminate them. The main thing is is try to keep it at a manageable level. And healthy bees are happy bees. And you do those things to help keep them fed and keep them keep them healthy and it's no guarantee that you're going to succeed with all of them but your your chances of of getting them through the winter to the next growing season greatly increases now for someone who wants to get into beekeeping for the same reasons I did they want all that honey how long do you have to wait after getting bees to start getting rewarded with some honey normally if you start out year 1 would be when you get your bees, and you would normally get them in the spring or early spring, that first growing season is strictly for the bees. It's just to get get the colony set up and have them be able to draw comb and store ample resources to get through winter. However, 
we can get through the winter with that with that colony. By the next year, if everything's healthy and we have good weather, which a lot of this is weather-related, you can get honey the next year. So uh, as far as honey goes, do you get a lot of honey from one beehive? It's dependent upon the bees. It's dependent on the location and dependent on the the weather that we've had. And some some bee colonies in some years are capable of, of producing a few hundred pounds of honey in, in this area. But that's not typical. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, based on the reason you're keeping bees, does that change how you have to manage them? So, like if you're, uh, if you're just trying to get honey from them, um, or if you're just trying to pollinate with them, does that change what you have to do with them? Yes, it, it kind of, it, it does have influence on how you manage them. Um, not so much on, well, not so much on how, it's, it's when you manage them. Um, if, if you're managing for honey, and we're looking at, at doing our mite treatments, there are a lot of mite treatments that you can't use with honey supers or present. So you have to time, you have to, have a pretty good plan of timing to get your hunt, your surplus honey off and get your mite treatments done. Um, if you're if you're just managing bees to, to make bees or you're managing bees just because you like keeping bees, that, that kind of frees your timing up tremendously because you're not trying to work your mite treatments around a honey schedule. Now, we've also talked a lot about keeping bees but um besides feeding them i think the thing that everyone wants to do is when do you get to put on that really cool white suit and that veil and go uh go get into the hives like when is that when is the time for that because i know that's what most people think of when they think of beekeeping like what's a reason that you'd need uh that like for an inspection that the reason for an inspection yeah um it's always good to, to work you out a plan um, early on, you know, fo- it's brand new and folks want to get in their hives pretty regularly. And there, there's nothing wrong with that because the more they're in there, the more they're learning. Um, probably if you'd ask a bee, they would disagree. But, but after a while, you, you will learn, you'll learn a timing that will work for you. You, you want to go in them frequently, but not, not every day. And, and just you're just looking for something. And one good piece of advice that I read years ago that makes perfect sense is don't go through and do an inspection just for the sake of doing an inspection. Have a reason. You're looking, you're looking for something. Are they light on honey stores? Um, are you seeing a bunch of malformed bees? Uh, you know, you're looking for something. So if you find a problem, you can start working to fix it now for uh for mites like if you go in looking for mites how do you see how many mites are in a beehive um there's two different two different methods um you capture young bees and without going into humongous amount of details you would find frames that had young brood on it which would be uncapped larvae or eggs and typically that is most of the bees on that are young nurse bees, which is 
whose job is to take care of the babies. So we want to select that. So we will shake shake those bees off into a little tub and gather up half a cup and put them in a, a, a little special jar. And you can put about a tablespoon of powdered sugar in it and roll the bees around for a minute to make sure that everybody's coated in the powdered sugar. Then shake it the little special jars made with a little piece of screen on it where it's not completely capped off. But you would shake the bees for another minute over like a white surface. And the theory is, is the powdered sugar will dislodge the mites and the mites will fall out on the white surface. So you just, once that's done, spray some water on it, that dissolves the powdered sugar. And if the mites are there, they, they, they become visible. Um, the other process involves the same amount of thing. You select the nurse bees, you put a half cup of them in your specialized jar. However, instead of using powdered sugar, you use alcohol. And then you swirl it around for a minute and then pour the alcohol out and you can see the number of mites in there. Um, the difference between the two, um, they seem to think that the alcohol wash is a little more effective um, however, the, the sugar shake makes the bees a lot less dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was going to say, you know, if someone's just tuning in now and doesn't know what we're talking about, and we just talked about coating bees in powdered sugar and measuring them by the cup, they probably think, uh, thinking we're a little, little out there. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for everyone that's just tuned in recently, you're listening to WEHC Emory 90.7 and WISE 90.5. We're interviewing Tater today talking about beekeeping. I promise you we're not weird by coating bees in powdered sugar and measuring them by the cup. We've, we've measured them by the pound so far in this show with the, uh, with the packages, and now we're doing it by the cup. Um, so uh, going into um, the... Highlands Beekeeping Association that you just became president of recently. What um, what is the main goal of that organization? We're we're actually recognized as a as an educational organization, and our our primary purpose and mission is to educate and inform and involve the public in beekeeping. Now. Uh, when are meetings for that? If somebody really wants to get into beekeeping or maybe kind of see who's out there? Um, we meet the first Monday of the month at 6.30 at the Higher Ed Center in Abingdon. And uh, for those meetings, I think it's a speaker comes every, every Monday or every meeting and just talks about something related to beekeeping, correct? Yes. Um, throughout the year, we have different speakers to come in and talk about different different topics um related obviously related to beekeeping but to just give you a, a quick overview well how to manage bees to um, decrease swarming that's coming up in in march and that that should be a really good one um on we we have one scheduled previously that dealt dealt with bear issues building fence around the apiary and 
how to, you know, legally what can you do to repel bears and that kind of thing. But throughout the year, we have we have different speakers talking about different subjects that tries to help people. That brought up uh, another good question for you with uh, swarming. Why do bees swarm? It seems like uh, every spring you just see big clusters of bees bees flying everywhere. That's how bees propagate themselves. Um, in the spring, the bees are, you know, their population is directly related to the amount of resources coming in. In the spring, massive amounts of pollen and nectar is coming in, so the bees are responding, and they're making more bees. And to keep it kind of simple, the colony starts getting really, really full, so they start making preparations to swarm. So what happens is is they will make some queen cells prior to that and then when the queen cells are about ready to emerge somebody decides in there today's the day <laughs> and about halfish of the population of the workers and drones which we hadn't talked about yeah. and the existing queen they all get pushed out and everybody leaves and they go out and fly around and look like a big cloud of bees going through the sky and then they settle someplace they're they're a new colony they're just looking for a place to go and then hopefully a beekeeper can find them put them in equipment and you've got a new colony of bees ready to go now you said uh drones and then queens and uh and uh workers and all that what are the difference between all those different types of bees? Yeah, to break it down really quickly, um, say a, a, a colony of bees has a total population of 45,000 bees. There's going to be one queen, a few, a very few hundred drones, which are the male bees, and everybody else are, are, are workers. And the, obviously the queen is female. She's laying eggs. She's responsible for, for keeping everybody going and putting the next generation of bees in that colony. She's in one important bug. And all of, the, all of the workers are female, and they have various jobs throughout their lifetime. And then you get to the drones. They're these little fat bees. <laughs> they, they look completely different than the rest of the bees in the colony. They have these big bulging eyes. They pretty much hang around the house and eat all day. But in the evenings, they'll go out on mating flights trying to find a queen to mate with. And if they are successful, then they die, and that's it. But if they go out and fly around and they don't find a queen to mate with, they come back to the colony and hang out the rest of the night and eat. Next day, they go back out on a flight again. And... I've given this presentation about the caste system in a bee colony before, and always somebody, they put up their hand, I want to be a drone, I want to be a drone. Well, that's all well and good until fall comes. The workers get, to, they band together, and what drones that are left, they will physically push them out, and they die from exposure on the outside. And if they don't want to leave willingly, they will chew their wings off. They will make them go outside one way or the other. So their retirement plan is pretty pretty grim. Mm -hmm. Live short lives, and if you don't get the job done, you get thrown out. Yep. <laughs> um, 
you talked about uh, bears uh, for a second there earlier. Um, are bears a big problem keeping bees around here? Yes, bears are becoming a bigger and bigger problem. Um, in a lot of places, it's 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 imperative that you have some kind of electric fencing or some kind of bear-proof fencing around your apiary, because the bee, the the bears will come in, and they will they will knock the colony over and go through everything. And they're so big and so strong that not only do they damage and destroy the bees, they will damage and destroy the equipment itself. However, one thing a lot of folks kind of get wrong about the bees is they think that, you know, they're going in there to eat the honey. They're actually going in there to eat the larvae, the pupa, and the and the bees themselves. They're after the protein. Mm -hmm. But since Winnie the Pooh, everybody seems to think, oh, they're after honey. <laughs> I was going to say, I think a lot of people think the uh, bear problem with beekeeping is just Winnie the Pooh, you know, wandering around the woods looking for some honey. Yep. <laughs> it's not as cute as that in real life. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, with, uh, with that, we've talked about a lot of stuff, but um, the white boxes everyone sees when they think of beekeeping nowadays, is that the only way you can keep bees? Um, no, um, what you're primarily looking at and probably what most folks are most familiar with is called Langstroth equipment. That was developed back in the 1800s by a fellow by the name of Langstroth. <laughs> and he, he kind of figured it out that bees liked a certain size and he was able to figure the space out that they really liked and, and have removable frames. And that's the main type of equipment you're familiar with. But there, there are other systems out there. There's long Langstroths, um, which are a, a long hive. Instead of going vertical, they go they go horizontally. There's wary. Um, there's there's one in um, oh I can't remember Slovenia. Mm -hmm. That it's like. A bunch of little beehives put together in a building, and you walk in the back of the building. It's real. It's real fancy deal. Uh, so, do you uh, you make what type of equipment do you make? Uh, overwhelming majority of the stuff we make is Langstroth equipment. Okay, and um, I remember the last speaker at the last bee meeting though said that uh, he would inspect any hive that you have, even if it's in the back of a car, if you've got removable frames. Yes, yes, that was our, our inspector. Now, uh, is the removable frame part the most important part, or uh, what's really crucial to keep bees? Uh, the removable frame part, um, it's actually a requirement in, in most, well, I think all states, because you, you can actually take that colony apart, look at it, and make sure there's no foul brood or anything else going on in there, and then put it back together. <laughs> and uh, have you noticed if you're doing inspections and stuff, the more inspections you do with one colony, do they tend to get more calm when you do more inspections, or do they get uh, act a little bit more like the Russian bees? <laughs> De depends. You you can work some colonies be just as calm as calm can be, just laid back, not paying any more attention to you at all, and then all of a sudden one day they can be a little high strung. We don't know why. 
Now, um, <clears throat> if you're looking to place a beehive somewhere, is there things you should look for? Like if you have a, a piece of property and you want to put a beehive on it, should you put it closer to your house, farther away? Like what should you look for in your ideal, ideal location to actually set the hive? The ideal location would be a, a place that that is not is well drained by air, um, not necessarily, you know, a tippy top of a hill or something, but not down in a low place where you know it's the air may settle and become stagnant, and definitely not where water can stand. But ideally, it's a place where you can get some airflow protected from harsh westerly winds. And the sun can get on the hive and stay on the hive most most of the day. And um, so you also mentioned earlier that the best way to get bees is a swarm because they're free. Yeah, that's that's free way to get it. <laughs> um, how would you rank the other ways? You got packages, nukes, and then you've got a full colony. Um, I would actually rank it. Um, number one would be making a split. You would split your own bees. Yeah. Instead of the bees swarming, you, you kind of split them off before they do that. And that just means you, you're successful. you got bees through the winter. Mm -hmm. um, number two, well, number two would be going and catching a swarm. And it's number two because you might have to spend gas money to go catch the swarm. <laughs> number three would be buying a colony or a nucleus colony. And it's only number three because it just costs money. It's an excellent way of sourcing bees. Um, number four would be just forget about keeping bees, and number five would be getting a package. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, as we're running down on time here again, I'd like to, uh, to get you to tell everybody about your business again in case they want to get into uh, beekeeping and then um, if you have a, a number you could uh, call to get in contact with you if they wanted to buy some equipment. Okay, we'll give you a brief history here. Um, my wife, Linda, and I, we, we opened Beekeepers Woodworking and Apiary Supply in June of 2019 to try and serve a need for, for affordable beekeeping equipment that was quality and built in this area from lumber from this area. And to help beekeepers. But anyway, um, we're always looking to help folks get started in beekeeping. And we offer some mentor stuff, not only the equipment, but we do want to help you succeed. And you can reach us at 276-608-6225 and just give me a call. And uh, we, can, we can help you with any of your bee needs from our own. And uh, that is some of the most affordable equipment I think you can find uh, in this area. And uh, it's very high quality. I still have hives from you, I think, that have been standing up good with absolutely no problems for about four years now. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, we're still short on time here, but um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your beekeeping journey. Like, how many hives did you start with, and uh, where did you go with it from there? I started out with four. Started out with four? Yeah, I got two packages and two nukes. And two of the nukes are still with me, and the packages are long gone. <laughs> but anyway, um, at one time at one time, I was maintaining 30, 32 colonies. And 
I really enjoy it. But the, like I said previously, the demands in the shop is taking more and more time, and I'm getting less and less time with bees. But I do go out and try to take care of them as best I can. And a lot of times in the summer after close the shop up, I, I will go and help a customer diagnose a problem or go through their bees if they're having an issue with them. So I'm still getting a little hands-on stuff with the bees. <laughs> Now, when you had uh, 32 hives, what um, what were you managing them for? Were you doing honey, or were you pollinating, or were you just out there with your bees? Actually, was managing 32 colonies to, to hopefully open up another branch of the operation in cell-mated queens. And that's, that's that whole process is just stone-cold science, and I love it. <laughs> but it it takes time. And there again, the shop was eating up a lot of time, and I wasn't going to be able to do it. Well, uh, if you can tell us in about a minute, how do you raise queens? That's impossible in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a really uh, quick process of selecting the right larva, putting that in a starter colony, letting the bees start them into queen cells, and then moving into a finisher colony, and they can finish it out into a queen and then you either cage them or get them out and finish them in an incubator because they have to be isolated from each other because the first emerging queen will go back and kill the others. And then you have to take the emerged, emerged new queens, put them in mating boxes and let them get mated. And hopefully they come back all mated and laying good fertilized eggs and making new worker bees and everything. So how was that for a minute? That was good. <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, that was more than I thought you'd be able to get because there's a lot more to it. Than oh, that there's a the, lot more to that, <laughs> and the little details. But um, you know, if somebody wanted to get into mating queens, would you be able to help them with that? Yes, I'd be more glad to answer questions. Um, <clears throat> so again, we've been talking with uh, with Tater here about beekeeping for this past hour and. Um, sort of what he's done with it. You are so listening to I'd like Voice to of Southwest thank Virginia, you for being on today. Emory, W-I-S-E, FM, Wise, and in Norton on 91.7, Pound on 91.3, and Clintwood on 90.3. Hey folks, this is